Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. Fast my good afternoon. Welcome to the programme here on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy. And me, Christy Dehaven. We do often talk about the joy that pets can bring to our lives. So coping with their death can be heartbreaking. And for some people, it is just overwhelming. And that's something that the Strand Veterinary Practice in Port Erin are taking very seriously. We're joined by vet Fern Hopkinson to find out more. Um, and I'm guessing, Fern, first of all, even from people who work in the practice, this isn't something that must get easier over time. No, it it never gets any easier. It's always a really difficult and emotive part of the journey we have with, with our patients and their families. Um, and it's something that we feel really keenly that we need to get right for people because it's it's a really hard time for everyone. So what have you been doing down at Strand then? So we have um, been taking part in a practice training program um, called the Compassion Understood program, which aims to coach veterinary practices and, and the teams within veterinary practices on how we address this this time and and the whole concept of pets passing away um, with their families. Um, So everybody in our practice has now completed um, the training required, which means that we are now a platinum accredited practice um, for Compassion Understood, which is, is brilliant. It means that we can all be confident that we're able to do the best that we can for people at that really, really difficult time. And how much would you say it's changed your approach then? It's changed it hugely. Even when in the practice we've had a, a, a frame shift in how we we approach it. It always used to be the case that after we'd had one of those really difficult afternoons where we'd we'd been with a grieving family, it, it was something you'd come back, you'd drink a cup of tea, and kind of get on with the, with with the rest of your day. Um, but now we have a much more open um, attitude and kind of culture within the practice. We talk about it. We talk about how things went well how people coped the experience we had and and use it to try and build a better experience for people um you know who are going to undergo that that difficult journey the next few days and when you say you've, you've been through this training we're talking about every member of staff aren't we even the receptionist everyone sort of gone through it which is really crucial isn't it absolutely anybody um who who is involved in the practice um has has done the training from the person who might answer the phone to you and um, the people who you know greet you as you come in so that no matter who answers the phone to you on the day you think actually i need to talk about this you know that you're going to get somebody to talk to who has a little bit of an understanding as to what you're going through and and knows a bit about how to support you at that time. Um, I was reading some of the, the information you sent through about this, Vern, and it said that 80% of um, pets are euthanised, so you make that decision. Um, and I wonder how involved owners can actually get in that whole decision-making process. So the the entire process, is, as far as I'm concerned, and certainly as far as my colleagues are concerned, is is driven by you, um, you know, your your pet's family you know them you live with them day in day out I would never like to be in a situation where we're having to to force you to make that decision because it's an intensely personal thing and everybody comes to it at at a very different stage it's a huge gift that you're you're choosing to give them is you know to give them the opportunity to pass in a peaceful way in a way where you know that you're controlling everything and they're going to be happy and it's something that everybody's got to come to in their own time and their own way. And whilst we can support you all the way, you know, we can we can talk to you and, and help to guide you in that decision. It always ultimately has to be your decision. And when it comes to things like 
being with your pet. I think there is a, a feeling that perhaps that's what a good owner should do. I mean, is that always the case, would you say? I would say there is no one thing that defines a good owner. A good owner is someone who loves their pet and does what's best for them. If you think that you want to be with them and hold them and you can cope with that and for you that's that's something that you're comfortable with, then that's great. We will support you in that. Equally, if you feel that you know you can't do that you're not up to that you just can't cope and you think they'd be better off with one of us I can promise you no animal will ever go in you know with me without having a cuddle from one of my team or myself the nation station, and I'm delighted that we are joined by the Vice Chair of the Guild Executive Committee, Anne Clark, and also the new chair mm-hmm. of the Manx Music Speech and Dance Festival, Eric Quirk. And Eric, this is a very new appointment. It is indeed. Um, I think I've been in post now for just about 10 days. So it's a sharp learning curve for me and uh, one that's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to being involved more in the Guild this coming year and in years to come. And what's been in your involvement with the Guild up to now then? Uh, I took part in the Guild as a, as a youngster, as a child, as a young man, young boy really, and then really as a spectator, as a member of the audience. My family have been involved in it for uh, oh, many, many times. My wife, was, her achievements are much more notable than mine. My daughter too, and then now my grandchildren are taking part. So we've got quite a long history of being involved in the Guild. Uh, one thing you probably didn't do in the Guild is play piano. I know, we were talking to <laughs> Margaret uh, Cubbon a little bit earlier, and I understand uh, you were once a pupil of hers. I was, um, many, many moons ago. I think possibly not long after Margaret started teaching, but I guess I was like many children who didn't like to practice, and unfortunately my parents gave in to me, and I stopped. And I, it is one of the big regrets of my life that I never continue to play the piano. My name's Philip Freer. I'm one of the three um, members of the chaplaincy team at Nobles Hospital. Uh, we are all part-time chaplains, so our time spent in the actual hospital is limited. But we do provide a 24-hour um, on-call service, so one of us can be contacted at any time. And we are sitting in the chapel at the moment. Who is able to come in here, Reverend Freer? Absolutely anybody. Um, We call it a chapel because it is a chapel. But it's open to people of all faiths and none. Uh, The Muslim members of staff come in here regularly for their prayers. And um, it's primarily a, a facility for people to come, 
to sit, to be still, to pray if they want to, or simply to be quiet and take in the stillness of the place and hopefully be refreshed by that. And how important would you say it is to have this space in a hospital facility? Absolutely crucial. Hospitals are busy places. People come for all sorts of reasons. Most people go out of hospital cured of whatever they came in for because some don't. Um, some people come for tests and um, get bad news. They want to come in here just to reflect, pray, cry perhaps. Um, simply somewhere where they can be, either by themselves or with a loved one, to get away from the hurly-burly of the hospital and just take in maybe what they've been told or just be still. And it has a very, very different feel to the rest of the hospital, which seems strange really, considering it's really off the main corridor. It always surprises me, actually, how quiet it is, given, as you say, that the main corridor runs outside. Of course, that's handy as well, because being off the main corridor, it's easy to find. Um, We're always contactable. Our names and photographs are up in the chapel, or we can always be contacted by the hospital switchboard. And how often do you have services in here? Well, we have um, a regular service at half past two on Wednesdays. Um, It would be exaggerating to say it was crowded out every Wednesday, (laughs) but there is always someone here to take the short service or if only one person comes in to talk or pray to just be here for them. And there are additional services, the main one, main regular one rather, being the Christmas carol service, which this year is on the 14th of December. Um, But from time to time, we're asked to provide additional services. Um, I've been asked to provide um, a memorial service in just over a week's time for some people who've lost a a very good friend. So it is available for that sort of um, facility as well. And there is a special service taking place on December the 28th. What is that for? That's correct. That's for people parents obviously but it also brings in grandparents uncles aunts close friends um, who've lost a baby either by miscarriage stillbirth or in the first few weeks of life and it must be terribly important for for parents and family to know that as you say this can be through miscarriage as well and that sense that a loss is a loss no matter when it happens that's true Um, a loss is a loss and it casts a very long shadow indeed Um, we did the first of these services last year. Uh, the services, incidentally, were the idea of one of our midwives, Brandy Manning. Um, we had one last year. A lady came up to me afterwards and said, you probably won't remember me, which I'm afraid was true, but she said, you actually came out to me 14 years ago when I'd lost a baby. And she had seen the advertisement for this uh, service and come along to it. After all that time, she still needed, obviously, care and hopefully the, um, you know, the, the special sense of, I suppose, support um, which this service was designed to provide. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. We've got Graham Clucas here first today, who's the founder of Quing and behind today's event. Graham, it's a big question, but why was it important to you to do this event here today? I suppose it was giving uh, people hope, maybe. Uh, so lots of people who have been involved with Quing and lots of people I know, I suppose, have lost their hope. They just go round in systems uh, and we're saying there's a different way. 
Yeah, and um, what what are you hoping to achieve with that? I mean, you've brought such a number of really um, incredible speakers who are experts in their field. What are you hoping that you will achieve together today? So, I suppose there's two things. It's one is telling people there's a different way, uh, and the other one is telling people who are likely to use our service what does it look like. What do you think would work for you? Uh, because you know. I may be an expert on my own process, but I'm not an expert on anybody else's, and they know what will help them, not me. So, so there's sort of a think tank aspect to this as well today, kind of generating ideas and getting people to sort of open up about their own experiences and what might be relative to them in the future. Yeah, and it's, you know, in our guts we know what helps us, and something today most probably, I hope, at least one thing, maybe two things has had that gut feeling of I think we should do that because that might help me so that's I suppose that's the two of them those two reasons so and um, Quing offers a lot of services for us here on the Isle of Man um, and they take various forms uh, who is Quing for and is it something that can um, can are the services um, able to function alongside sort of modern medicine as we know it and um, the sort of the regular system that we might already be part of perhaps yeah, so we're, we're parallel. So we don't say, actually, the traditional mental health, uh, traditional medical model helps some people. It doesn't help other people. Some of what we do will help some people, but some people won't be helped by it. Uh, and it's this parallel. Uh, and we, at the moment, we're run, running a peer mental induction training. We're doing counselling. We're doing therapy. Uh, we run trauma workshops, uh, what else, communication workshops, and early next year we're starting our accredited peer mentor training, which, are coming, which we're borrowing from our friends at Push and Change in Portsmouth. Aston my good afternoon. It's six minutes past two. I'm Christy Dehaven, and as it's a Friday, we are, of course, back on the Conister Rock. Now, last week, when we were joined by motorcycle ace and coffee guru Connor Cummins, we began by saying that the Isle of Man takes pride in its people. Well, I think with today's guest, it's fair to say that this man takes as much pride in the island as it does in him. Born into the 13th generation of farmers, miners and fishermen on the side of South Barul, he is perhaps the epitome of the phrase Manx as the hills. Ned Kenyuk, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon. I, w- I wonder, first of all, this is something we were talking about just before we came on air. I described you there as being Manx as the hills, which I think personally is a compliment. I hope you do as well. What do you think it is that makes a Manxman? I honestly don't know. Um, a lot of people have tried to decipher what constitutes being Manx, and I'm not sure they've come up with a, with a realistic answer. I am what I am, who I am, and I've had no input into that. But I consider myself to be no more Manx than a Welshman is Welsh, or a Scotchman is Scottish, or an Irishman is Irish. But what I do have, I have the same... Uh, commitment as them and that is to be proud of who I am and what I am and I've been able to uh, portray that all through my work and life. I've never been swayed by by things outside of the island. I, I would rather stick to what I know and and be comfortable with and I've gone through life like that and taken advantage of people. I've known a lot of good mentors during my work and life and I've extracted a lot of information from them and that is what comes through be proud of who you are and what you are 
Which is a good lesson for us all. It yes. really is, Ned. We'll be talking much more about that this afternoon. Uh, Christmas is fast approaching, of course. And uh, you say that that's one of the times that really sort of stands out for you when you when you think of your childhood. So just tell us a little bit about what your childhood Christmases were like, Ned. Childhood Christmases were totally family. They couldn't be anything else because we lived on an isolated farm. My father had no car, didn't have a driving licence, so uh, Christmas was totally family, and it was one of the festivals that we looked forward to. Um, Our childhood was simple, um, not influenced by outside forces at all. Um, no television, no no uh, social media, nothing like that. No contact with the outside. Oh, that sounds a bit dramatic. Um, very little contact with our neighbours, very little. Um, I made the comment once that we didn't need ration books. We lived so far away from the shop that we didn't go that often. And, and anyway, when we got there, we had no money to buy anything anyway as, as kids. But... Um, Christmas was simple and it was some because it was one of probably only two or three highlights in the year. It was one that you look forward to. And one of the highlights for Christmas was not actually Christmas itself, but we were taken into Douglas. We didn't go to Douglas very often, went on the train. And one of the highlights was just to be taken through Strand Street just before Christmas and just to look in the shop. I can still remember it. I can. I still remember most of the shops that were in Strand Street and what they meant, and that really meant a lot to us. You know, simple pleasures like we made our own Christmas decorations. Um, we usually had a Christmas tree growing somewhere on the farm, and there was no Christmas lights. There were no electric lights. There was nothing like that. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. The family all being together in the same environment was was Christmas for us and, and we enjoyed it. <laughs> 